0: Welcome to episode 14 of Live from Vader's Castle. Uh, I'm your host, John Lee, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dan McQuarrie.
1: Hello, how are we doing?
0: Uh, not too bad, not too bad. I'm not sure if you can tell, but my voice is slightly croaky after uh, celebrating England's goal yesterday and then shouting <laughs> at the TV for the other uh, 88 minutes.
1: Having that um, all at one moment of glory two minutes into the game and then just being miserable for the rest of the- <laughs> Yeah, so my voice is are going to hit, but it's, it's recovered
0: slowly throughout the day. So hopefully it's not too bad.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm also knackered out, but it's it's my legs, not my throat, because um, I was away this weekend conquering Ben Nevis. I've now reached the top of the UK's tallest mountains. So that's a, that's ticked off my bucket list. So uh, that's why you're getting this episode late because I was I was away on the west coast of Scotland. Enjoying myself, and John was having a miserable time watching the Euros. So, <laughs> <laughs> two very different weekends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we're here. We're here to talk about Into the Dark, aren't we?
0: We are. Yeah this is a uh, this has been this month's book club. Uh, Into the Dark by Claudia Gray It's the next uh, book after Light of the Jedi that we read um, in the Horror Product series. Mm-hmm. Uh, i'm actually i'm very excited to talk about this actually i've, I've really enjoyed it
1: um yeah me um, too i am um, i had a lot of thoughts the first time i read it and i didn't have anyone to uh, chat those thoughts to. so it's good that john's read it now i've re listened to it so my audiobook experience we'll definitely talk about the audiobook factor as well and yeah i'm looking forward to the discussion
0: yeah i mean first off i'm just gonna say to sort of put it out there i really enjoyed it unbelievable book Claudia Gray the, her way with words is unbelievable the way she forms a story yeah. and the character development and uh, just oh awesome what an author yeah I'll take my hat off to her
1: yeah I'm, I'm glad you're finally on the uh, the Claudia Gray train because um Into the Dark was my first trip into the the, the mind of Claudia Gray. <clears throat> and then I read Lost Stars and Bloodline and she continues to uh, blow me away with the quality of writing and character development and all that stuff. So yeah, my overall thoughts as well. Very big fan of this book. Not I don't like it quite as much as Light of the Jedi, but I mean, they're two very different types of books. Light of the Jedi is a big cinematic event book and this is a more sort of close character driven sort of contained story Um on my list of star wars books i think i have like light of the jedi about third and this like fourth or fifth so <laughs> they're, they're very close together um so i do really enjoy both of them and this one was a great read and a great reread so um yeah how was your uh your your overall experience because i know you were on the audiobook as well what did you think of it
0: yeah, I did a little bit of audiobook, a little bit of like paperback um, reading because I hadn't ordered it and I was running out of time to read it. So I was like, oh, I'll get the audiobook, so I can listen to it in the car and stuff." Um, help me get through it. Um, but I think the audiobook experience is, is something, it's something I've never done before, but I would highly recommend. Um, you know, I used I just use Audible and I got a couple of free credits. I think because I've got Amazon Prime. Uh, but I definitely recommend it to anyone out there who's like more maybe a casual reader and hasn't got time to sit down for like three hours in a day and like read a book like you can stick it on the car stick it on while you're walking um in the end it the end I ended up uh listening to the audiobook while reading the book at the same time once I got around to ordering the book um just because one it's a bit easier I suppose uh having it read to you but the background noise that they add into the audio So like, it's not like the old audio books they used to have where like someone would literally just read. And maybe if there was like a sound effect in the writing, they put it in there or something like that. But and this, in this one, I don't know how common it is, but you had like background music every now and again, like you'd have a sound effects of like the, if someone described a room or like the, or what someone was doing, there'd be like sound effects for it. Uh, some lovely moments in the book when, uh, things things would happen. We'll talk about later. But things would happen. Then you'd get like the music from the actual Star Wars films. I think like Binary Sunsets was in there a couple of times. Things like that, and it really helps you get engrossed into the story. And especially when you're sitting there reading the book in front of you, and then you can hear that music as well, and like all the sound effects. It really like you, you feel like you're in the in the world. And that combine that with Claudia Gray's writing. It's just, I don't think I'm going to go back to reading any other way now, apart from having like an audiobook with the book at least. Because uh, it's just yeah. fantastic.
1: Yeah. So, this was this was my first Star Wars audiobook. I mean, I used to listen to audiobooks when I was a kid um, on my old iPod Nano or whatever it was, it used to have like <laughs> audiobooks on there. But I haven't listened to an audiobook in probably at least 10, 15 years. So, this was, a, it was an interesting experience. I agree. I loved the sound effects, the music. I even loved the voice actor, the the narrator would do different accents for all the different characters. Um particularly liked his his Leox voice. He sounded like a combination of Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, which I thought was really funny. Um but yeah, I think the the only thing I struggle with with audiobooks is sometimes you can just think of other things and then it's been a minute and you just, you've just you just missed a minute of what the narrator's been saying because you've got distracted by something, which is why I agree having the book in front of you as well is really handy. My only, my only reason that I'm probably going to read more than I'm going to listen is just because I read about twice as quick as the narrator narrates. So, like, recently I just um read The Rising Storm, and i probably got through that in like a total of eight hours reading time and if that was narration it probably would have been like an 11 and 12 hour thing so i just got through it quicker which obviously when a busy lad got to get through got to get through things quickly but no i enjoyed it i thought it was a really good audio book there were a couple moments as john said with like binary sunset or yoda's theme like kicked in little tear to my eye um Star Wars has that advantage of having really emotive music where they could just drop it in anywhere and it just makes you feel something. So yeah, I enjoyed the audiobook experience. I would definitely do it again, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be like my regular. I think I'm going to sprinkle it about, maybe if I'm doing like a reread of something, I'm doing it for a second time, like I was doing with Into the Dark, I might try the audiobook. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, basically all the Star Wars audiobooks from at least the f- past five years do the sound effects, the music, the music, the sort of voice acting and that sort of thing. So it's very commonplace, John, if you're uh, if you're doing it again.
0: Yeah, I think I'm probably going to have to, to be honest. So that's good that they all do that. Just because um, I did find the one annoying thing about it uh, I found, which is maybe just the app I was using, but like uh, on Audible, you could change the speed of like how they were talking. So like, when I was reading that, I put the speed up a bit to like, I think I put it to like 1.6, 1.7. To help it keep up with like how fast I can read. But then when you like get in a car or um, you're using like a third party like software sort of thing, not your phone, it, it doesn't keep that speed. So then you go back to like normal listening, so it's really weird. So you'd be listening to like 1.6, 1.7, like with your headphones on, and then you get in the car to listen to it, and it's dropped back down to one and it feels like really slow. Uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it as an experience. Um, yeah, and I different. would definitely recommend just at least giving it a go. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, yeah. it's not for everyone, I'm sure, but yeah, give it a go if you. I think you can get a free trial on Audible or something. So, if you're listening and want to read uh, the next uh, Star Wars book, what was it Rising
1: Storm? Give mm-hmm. that an audio book go, maybe. Yeah, hopefully at some point we'll be able to have one of those little. Um, audible links (laughs) that if you if your (laughs) listeners use it we get money we don't have one of them sadly but uh, (laughs) hopefully one day one day yeah but yeah definitely it's definitely it's worth a worth a try and worth an experience and i'm quite interested to maybe revisit some of the other books i've already read and get sort of the audiobook experience the one i'm particularly interested in trying again with the audiobook is lost stars which is another claudio gray book which i absolutely adore um but just because of its setting within the original trilogy and the different characters and stuff, I'd be quite interested to see what the music and the, the voice acting and that sort of thing is like in that book. So that's potentially one that I might revisit. But um, we'll, we'll go to our um, just specific overall thoughts on the story, the characters, um, the mysteries, all that sort of stuff. Big spoilers from this point onwards if you haven't read Into the Dark we will be spoiling every single detail for the next 45 to minutes to an hour. So there's your warning. John, give us your broad overall thoughts on, on everything. Um,
0: I, I was just saying to you before we started, like the, the thing I really enjoyed about it uh, and I found really clever is how like intertwined it is with the other uh, higher public um, multimedia we've got going on at the moment. So obviously we got... This book, um, Into the Dark, and we had like the Jedi. I know there's a couple other ones I haven't read, but I'm sure it's the same for them. And then you have got the comic series as well, so they're all running at the same time, pretty much. And they, the stories intertwine really well, I think, which is um, it's, it feels rewarding when something is in, like in a different book and then you see it in a different uh, com- in a comic and something. So I think that was that was really clever. Um, and yeah. I, I, as you said, I, it's an independent story, so I like how intertwined it was but then separate enough with their own things so like obviously the hyper space disaster that destroyed the legacy run and that, that whole big thing in you know, Light like the Jedi like impacted the storyline and the characters in this but
1: not massively so it was still a good nice independent story yeah um, it sort of but- it, it created the story but then it didn't navigate it any further than that like it it put the characters in one place together the legacy run disaster, but then the story went on naturally after that. Mm. Yeah. I loved
0: the, I love the, the new villains that we got in the, um, Dengar. Oh, I suppose they're new in this book. But the Drengear. Gear. That's it. Yeah. And if you've been reading the comics, they which just slightly ahead. They're in that as well, which is brilliant. So like, I literally just read issue four of the comic after I finished reading the book. Um, and, they're in that name, but obviously both stories a lot, which is, I found really, as I just said, really satisfying.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, isn't it issue four when they sort of, like, give the Drenger a little bit of background and you actually see the scene where, like, the Jedi release them in the Amaxine station? I think that's in issue four, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you see, like, how they're... Because
0: in, the, in this book, Into the Dark, it's kind of hinted at the um, their relationship with, like, the Sith. Then they kind of give a little bit more detail in the issue for the comic about how they uh, joined forces with the Sith, and then obviously the Sith betrayed them because that's what the Sith do, um, and how they ended up getting trapped on them on their the Maxine station in this book. So yeah, they 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 quite well actually. Just finishing reading
1: that. Yeah, it was um, it was quite nice because this this book sort of became the like big introduction to the drinker, and then sort of you get to the end of the book and you think, oh, so it's all over and done with. And then the comics then are picking up this story of in actual fact, the drengir are still out there. Um and that story continues quite significantly. It sort of is almost like a passing of the torch of like into the dark introduces the drengir then the torch is passed on to the comics. And then they're taking the drengir story forward. Um which I think is a really interesting idea. I, I was in an interview, Claudia Gray was saying that it was it was Gavin Scott who wrote the High Republic comics and The Rising Storm who came up with the idea for the Gear as a villain. And then basically she was like, oh, that's a cool idea. We'll introduce it in my book and then you can take them on and do whatever you want to do in the comic and then we'll see where they go in the future. I don't know what, what's going to happen with them further down the line. But just that relationship that the writers have when they're sort of passing ideas to each other and they're all forming this world together completely shows on paper and obviously the fact that you've just witnessed it by reading that issue just after finishing the book just is really satisfying particularly if you're trying to be like a completionist like I am which is like reading every single thing that comes out of the High Republic you just notice so many things that link up and it is just nothing but satisfying (laughs) Mm. yeah I mean
0: I really liked Uh, I just, I really like Claudia Gray's start of writing and how she moved the plot forward, but then there was like plot twists and uh, mysteries that carried on throughout like almost the entire book that were then resolved with answers that you read, like there were um, breadcrumbs for it and stuff. Uh, Oh, it's just fantastic. I mean, you had the whole um, bit with like obviously the way the Nile introduced in this book as well. It's fantastic. That was a big, Plot twist, you had the whole thing with Des Rydan again, fantastic. Um, but one of my favorite aspects of the entire book, so I'm sure we'll probably talk about a bit more later, is how she wrote the character of Geode. Like yes. every time that came up, I was like, this is just absolutely genius. <laughs> it was like writing oh. a character by them having like writing the whole personality
1: of a character by them doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah, we will we will have a very specific Geode discussion uh, later on in the episode because we've had some specific questions about Geode. So we will have a very specific question uh, discussion about Geode, but I completely agree. The way that Claudia Gray writes Geode is genius. And I remember when Into the Dark first came out, there was like a lot of backlash from people who hadn't hadn't read the book about Geode, being like, oh, they've made a character about a rock, how stupid is this? And I remember watching a video and people were just like, read the book, you'll get it. And I was like, okay, fine. So I read the book, instantly understood it. I was like, this is one of my favourite characters ever, and he's a rock. It's just so well written. And I can't wait just to see Geode in everything from now onwards. So I want him to appear in every Hive Republic book comic. I don't know. I want a video game we just play as Geode. I don't know. I just- <laughs> hey, We need more Geode. Yeah, definitely. More Geode. More Geode. But yeah, I agree. I am... I think the thing that I love the most about this book is just the, the characters. I genuinely haven't walked away from that this book not loving any of the main, I guess, seven characters. Obviously, you've got Reef Silas, Des Ryden, Komak Vitus, Ola Tereni as your four Jedi, and then you've got Affy Hollow, Leox Jassy, and Geode as the crew of the vessel as your sort of main characters, obviously Wreath is sort of your main, main character. Um, but all of them sort of equally fill this book with really interesting character moments, interesting character arcs. And they're just really likable, well-written characters. And I've just come away from it thinking, I want to see these characters sprinkled about in every High Republic story. Um, really big fan of Wreath in particular. I think Reith really stole the show for me and I'm like, read the first chapter and I was thinking oh a Jedi who doesn't like adventure this is going to be interesting sort of rolling my eyes a little bit by the end of the book I was like this this is a fantastic character I love the journey he's been on Des was great Komak and Orla had a really interesting story and in the tie-in with the flashbacks it was really really interesting as well Leox and Geode <clears throat> are just absolute stars I, I love them both Afi was a really interesting so I just think my big takeaway from this except you know cool villains um you know interesting mysteries and all that aside i just thought it was a really good character ensemble book and when you compare that to light of the jedi which i absolutely love light of the jedi where it's like introduces lots of characters does little things with them but doesn't expand their characters massively to this one which is really targeted at its characters i just think it's a really nice companion to it it's two different types of story and i just thought it really, really well.
0: No, yeah, I completely agree. It does work fantastically. as like a, a companion to like the Jedi. Yeah. By being able to focus in on like those specific seven characters. I mean, I don't think there's like a chapter in the book apart from the flashbacks, but like they're not all in it at one point or like have quite, I think they all have quite a significant impact on like every chapter. Um, you know, each character I think is explored really well. Um, as yeah, I think I really liked Aula's, um journey, especially from the flashbacks and then how she, wh- where she ends up at the end of the book. I thought was really interesting, and the way Claudia yeah. like explains her interpretations of the Force and like how that then um, influences her decision making and what she's going to do once the book ends, or like you know at the end of the book where she goes off to. Um, I really thought that was really interesting. Story that I don't think we've got very often from like Jedi, and it's like all like explored that well, where it's like questioning not just the force, but like the the order as a whole, and like how the order tells you, you know, trust in the force, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then what the force is telling her is different to the teachings of the order. I thought that was really clever, and it's like yeah. well, ideally the order wants you to follow the order, but then also ideally they want you to follow, you know, your interpretation of the force. And it's, uh, it was really good and i completely it like, was grips about what she's going to do and like how her decisions would be swayed in each moment by like the teachings of the order or like her
1: force like interpretations yeah i agree i think there were some really big sort of like questions about the jedi the order the force within like each of the four main jedi characters and i just felt that like this book explain like explores and explained the Force better than most, if not all of the films <laughs> previous to it. Just the detail in which it went into the Force in so many different aspects from, you know, Reef's journey to Dez's journey to Comac's and Allers. Like, they all had to deal with the Force and the Order and being a Jedi in their own way, and they all questioned their very being of a Jedi individually and by the end of the book came to their own unique conclusion of or their lessons that they had learned. And I just found it so like, I think cause Light of the Jedi and, and Charles soul, they really, he really explored the force in the on the sense of like how each Jedi interprets the force, what they see visually as the force. And that was beautiful. But in this book, it really delved deep into that question of, you know, like why, why do we do things the way we do it within the order? Um, And that's just something that I think is so interesting because in the prequel era, with the exception of Anakin and his sort of questioning of like, why, you know, why can't I do this, that and the other? Every Jedi we ever met was just like, follow the rules, follow the rules, never even question the rules. Whereas we're in an era where like all the Jedi are almost free to question, they're encouraged to question. And if those questions come to an answer that don't line up with what the order stands for, they're free to go in Aula's case. And I just thought that was a really interesting sort of discussion that was constantly happening throughout the book. Um, And I do particularly want to touch on uh, Reef's sort of character arc and the Comac and Orla sort of flashback and how that relates to their sort of modern day story, if it is, um, a little bit later on. But yeah, I agree. I think all of that stuff was just so interesting to read.
0: Yeah, I mean, i would really love to see uh, Orla as well, in like a, a in a comic or something, just because one. I think she's just very an interesting character to like the way she's described, obviously she wearing like you know pure white like uh, robes um, with a two a double bladed white lightsaber as well. It's like oh, that's unreal. I'd love to see that in um you know future comics or something because I think now will look really good on on the page. Compared to like the normal lightsabers that we're used to, I suppose you know, like blue, green, red,
1: yellow. Um, yeah, I'd love to see like, to, a, uh, like a like a sort of almost like a graphic novel of her, like a five issue of her, just like out as a way seeker. Um, written by Claudia Gray, just her uh, getting up to adventures and like just following the Force because that's what her new journey is now about. It's just about following the Force in a ship wherever it really takes her. And I think that would, yeah, I agree. It would make for such a cool comic comic book story. Yeah, it's really good.
0: What what species is she again? I can't remember. I feel like we've seen them before in the, in um, yeah, the prequels. She, yeah, she's Umbaran. So that's she's it. From,
1: yeah, she's from Umbara. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's really again. Uh, as I've said in, I think I've said in a previous podcast when talking about the High Republic, it's a great opportunity to have um, different species as Jedi that we haven't seen before. Like the only time we've come across that like, the Umbarans is pretty sure, me personally is in that Clone Wars arc. You know the darkness on Umbara, um, whether or not as I keep painting them the most positive of light. So seeing one of them as like a Jedi, I think is just as interesting as. Um, seeing the Ocean Jedi in the, you know, in, is it skier Skiir? Yeah, Skiir.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I just really like how they're branching out with like just some
1: more niche aliens as Jedi that we're not yeah. used to seeing. All I'll say is it gets weirder <laughs> in, in the next wave of books. It gets weirder in terms of different alien species. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I, th- I think the High Republic has really fleshed itself out as like its own world, so many different species and characters. And it's getting to the point now where there's just so many brilliant characters. You can, They can just pick them up and just drop them in any story and you're going to get excited about it. Like I've just seen that um, this month's High Republic Adventures is going to feature um, the vessel crew. So Affy, Leox and Geode are going to be in it. So we're going to see Geode in comic form, which... I just I need to see because it will answer so many questions of like, <laughs> what does Geode really look like? And how does he move and all these questions that we've had? But just seeing the vessel crew again and them after this story is going to be interesting. I know Out of the Shadows, the next YA novel which is coming out, is gonna have Wreath and Comac, because they're now Master and Apprentice, featured in that book. So I'm just really looking forward to seeing all these new characters just mingle you know with each other but also with all the weird and wacky new characters that we're getting as well all these different alien species um it, it, it's it's what has me most excited about this era it's just the new characters and species and peoples mixing with each other and what those sort of interactions are like that's the sort of that's the stuff that take the M- mcu for example you know you spend 2 hours of ant-man and then you see a film where Ant-Man meets Captain America. And then you get really excited because it's two characters that you really like meeting each other. And like the High Republic is almost setting that up on a even bigger scale. It's like here we spend, you know, eleven hours of reading time with Reith Silas. And then in the next book that comes out, he's gonna meet Vanestra Rowe from A Test of Courage. And then he's gonna be two cool Jedi characters that we like meeting each other. And yeah, it just it just has me very excited, continues to uh, intrigue me more and more.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's an excellent point. It's like you, cause these characters in their books are like, especially in the, into the dark is like so well introduced and like, you really get to understand their character that you can actually just drag and drop them and put them in anything. Like they could be in like a panel of a comic or just like in a scene in a book and you're like, Oh, nice that's that's like one of my characters that i like and yeah it just goes to show how broad the high republic is becoming because uh, obviously it's going to go on for a couple more years i'm pretty sure like they got big plans for it um so i'm really liking how they're developing all the characters and then leaving room for more like yeah weird and wacky things and then they can just like you yeah, drag and drop different things into different places and have crossovers here crossovers there like the world they're building i think it's going to really pay off in a couple years time when obviously things get like ramped up to like you know the big screen eventually maybe or like a tv series or like video games when people really get to appreciate how good this what universe is they're building
1: yeah yeah and obviously this this book is still from the first wave of the first phase and they're planning three phases and then you know we're predicting that each each phase is going to have like a couple, two, three waves of books and comics and all that sort of thing. So there's so much stuff coming out, and uh, they're already announcing, you know, like an audio drama, new sort of like five issue comic series, and all this sort of stuff coming out around the High Republic. So yeah, it's it's definitely really exciting. But should we should we dive a little <clears throat> deeper into the sort of the actual content, the the characters of Into the Dark? Um, should, we, should we start off talking about Reith? Because obviously Reith Silas is the main character in this. He's a Padawan. His master is Jorah Mali, which big spoiler for Light of the Jedi. She dies um, in Light of the Jedi and also dies in this book. Um, in the sense of she dies on page in Light of the Jedi and then Reith finds, about, finds out about her death about halfway through this book, which is a very, you know, part of his emotional journey. Reith is a character who would much rather sit in the Jedi archives, studying, reading books, than going off on adventures. He hates the idea of adventure. And his world is turned upside down when his master says, right, we're going to the frontier, we're going to the Outer Rim, and you're going to have a new placing on Starlight Beacon, um, which is the worst possible thing for him because he loves Coruscant and the library and the archives and everything like that. And then, obviously, along the way, great disaster happens he ends up on the amaxine station with all these other wonderful characters and has to deal with you know killing you know killing for the first time maiming someone for the first time he has to deal with you know losing a close friend his master his close friend coming back <laughs> um he has to deal with someone he trusted in and gave information to turn out to be the enemy turning out to be the nile so he goes through a lot throughout this book and he's really sort of the emotional core of the story. And I'll just ask John, give me, a, give me your opinions. What do you think of uh, of Wreath Silas?
0: Um, well, I mean, when I first started the book, I was like, well, this is a bit of, as you say, a bit of an, a strange Jedi that we haven't really come across. You know, the Jedi we're used to is like battle-hardened, uh, you know, always up for a bit of... Of adventure. I mean, especially like, you know, you watch like seven seasons of The Clone Wars with like Anakin, who's always up for something. Um, and yeah, then we come across a Jedi who's a bit more reserved. And as you said, like, would rather have his head in a book or like be writing, you know, studying sort of thing. Um, but I think, as I said, I think Claudia Gray, she perfectly wrote his story across the book. So it was paced really well. And as you see, you has know, to go through all these things. Yeah, He maimed someone for the first time. And I think she really goes into good detail about how that made him feel. And I, he has a really good conversation, I think, with Dez or Master... Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. It's Ma, who's the Master? Comac. Comac. Yeah. I think, yes, yeah, Master Comac has conversation with about like, oh, should I have done this so I didn't end up chopping this guy's arm off? Like oh should i talk to him more and i really like this he's like coming into his own about like being a jedi and you know what it means to have to be that person to protect others you know you don't i think what was really good about his story is him learning that to be a jedi is basically just to be you have to serve others it's not about what you want because obviously at the start of the book we find out that You know, he wants to stay on Coruscant and he's not happy that his master has asked him to go to Starlight Beacon on the frontier. And then as the book carries on, he works out that being a Jedi is about serving others, about saving lives. I really like that by the end of the book. He's like, okay, what I want doesn't matter because I'm a Jedi and that's a higher calling. And basically I have to do what the force wheels, you know, what is best for others, not just best for myself. I think it's a yeah. really interesting story arc. Um, I really liked the part with the um the kyber arch. Yeah, I was going uh, to say I book, was going to talk about that. Yeah, beginning of the book. Um, and his masters like asking the question is that why does no Jedi like cross the kyber arch alone? You know, I just thought the obvious answer was, um, you know, because you you don't go through it alone. You go through like the Force or something like that. You know, some some force mumba jumba. Uh but then as the book carries on, he eventually figures out the answer himself. Is that you know you you don't go through it alone because the reason the Kyber Arch is there is because like it shows the fallen Jedi. Um, You know, those who helped make it made it. So it's like you as a Jedi are never like a single person. Like you, you're serving the order and you're serving the 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 people who are, you're there to protect. And I think that was a really good lesson for him. That was like literally put right at the beginning of the book, which he then figured out right at the end, pretty much once he'd been through like all this yeah. journey.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought the, the whole Kyber arch riddle was really, really interesting. And cause it said sort of multiple times in the beginning of the book, he's like, yeah, people cross the Kyber arch alone all the time. Like what's, what's Master Jora talking about? Um, and I loved the moment that he realized the lesson was that moment when, they had <clears throat> it was sort of the big climactic third act action, you know, the drenger and the Nile were fighting each other and they're thinking, right, we need to escape and sort of Reith realizes, you know, he they're not going to be able to escape safely. The galaxy's gonna be forever in danger if he doesn't do something about the Drenger and the Nile on the station at the moment. And he has that moment when he's just like he finally realizes it. Cause his higher calling in that moment is essentially to potentially give his life so that others can live and so that the galaxy as a whole becomes safer. And that's the whole point of the Kyber Arch riddle is that, you know, he stands on the shoulders of those who came before, you know, the the Jedi Order is all about, you know, the Jedi as a whole, the Jedi of the past and the future. Kind of links in to sort of the Rise of Skywalker's, um, you know, I am all the Jedi thing. I personally think this is a better way <laughs> to handle that sort of suggestion. But yeah, I just thought it was, and you know, his what didn't end up being a heroic sacrifice, but what could have been a heroic sacrifice of opening all the airlocks and chucking all the Drengur and the Nile out into space, getting saved by Geode, which is amazing. Um, but that moment hit hit hard and hit really well because he'd been juggling the whole book of like, you know, I'd rather be, you know, reading books. I don't want to be doing this. Like, obviously he maims his first enemy. And in that moment, he's really questioning and scared. And he's almost traumatized by just the sound of an arm thudding on the floor that he's chopped off. And that's good because a Jedi should be like that. But it's a lot of it is because he's just trying to use that as an excuse not to have to, you know, go off on adventures. And when he's giving the the option by the order of like... What do you want to do, Padawan? Like, who do you want your master to be? Where do you want to go? The fact that because he's learned the lesson from Master Jora and he realizes that his role is to serve others, to serve the Order, serve the Force, and the galaxy, he accepts that. Right, I will go to Starlight Beacon, where Master Jora wanted me to go, and you know, Master Komac ended up being the right master for him because they were sort of equally learning in the Force at the same time, and I just thought the whole. His whole character arc was really, really strong. I am, um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Any extra thoughts on Wraith, or should we talk about some of the other Donnies? Uh no,
0: I think we should we can go into some of the other fellas in the book.
1: I guess you 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 brought it up, so we may as well talk it through. Comac Vitus and Orla Jireni, the two sort of uh, seasoned veterans of this book in the Jedi Order. I thought their story, both past and present, was incredibly interesting. Um give us give us some of your, your thoughts, John.
0: Um yeah, I think I was I can sometimes when I read books and they got like two um, parallel stories, like one's like well this one was like twenty five years ago and like present day and they're run like parallel side by side. Sometimes they don't quite pay off as well, like um, the big reveal at the end of like the past story never quite lives up to what you'd imagine it would be. Um, But I think in this instance, especially with like all his journey as well, I think it really paid off really well. And it really did explain how, where each character was at that point in time and like the decisions they were making at that point in time and how that really well correlated to the decisions and mistakes they made 25 years ago. Um, I think it without that 25 year ago past tense story, I don't think their character development would have been anywhere near as good. Um, you know, especially with Orla, when it turns out that at the end of the past story, you know, someone died because she chose to follow the training of the order instead of like following her instincts in the force, and that led to someone dying, which I think she's obviously carried for that 25 years and has been struggling with which is why Then at the end of this book she decides to be a way seeker and go off and you know find her own path and not just follow the teachings of the order and then in parallel you got um, Master Cote why can I not say this guy's name Master Comac Vitus (laughs) Master Comac Vitus it's so bad I've literally had someone saying it to me as well listening to the audio book for about 8 hours and I still can't say this guy's name um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> his story of how at the beginning of the uh, the 25 years ago story his master dies um and he gets he questions the order's teachings as to like why can i not grieve you know why have i got to bury my feelings um which then goes on to be like or then goes on to i think as he goes through his life he questions like the separation of like the light and the dark side that the Jedi have, um, not quite seeing it as like a, a complete cut sliced down the middle, like the Jedi teach. And that thing should be more like not forbidden. So you can learn as much aspects about the force as possible. So, you know, if you close yourself away from one side, you're limiting your knowledge, I think was his, was his, um, view on things. Um, and obviously, in the book, when Des' right appears to die, I think that the feelings of you know grief and why can't I mourn they you know they arise again, which links really well back to the original story, and then yeah. links really well to you know his development and where he sees himself at the end of the book when Um, Wreath asks him if he wants to be like his master. Because as mm-hmm. you said, you know, they're both still learning in the force. I think yeah, it's, a really, it's a really good opportunity for um, them both to learn from each other.
1: Yeah, I think <clears throat> I've, I've actually got the line written out because it's literally my favourite line in the entire book. And he's, and it's, Comac watches Queen Thandeka with an emotion so strange it took him a few seconds to recognise it as envy. She could cry for her, for her loss. He could not even acknowledge his. And I thought that, for me, was the most powerful line in the entire book because... Like he's just lost his master and we know the sort of the master apprentice relationship in Star Wars is sort of often like the father-son relationship or the younger brother to older brother sort of relationship. And his master Simix, I think his name was. I also think master Simix was literally a snake. I can't remember what the name of the species was, but I think they were basically just a snake um, species, which is awesome. Um, But, you know, he's lost his master and he immediately – Is like not allowed to grieve because that's the teaching of the Jedi that you know, emotions and that leads to, um, you know, grief leads to anger, to jealousy, to hatred, all the things Anakin's told constantly throughout the prequels. And he's questioning this. And in that moment where like he sees death in front of him, he's jealous that they're allowed to cry and grieve because he's not actually allowed to acknowledge that emotion. Sort of externally or even internally, and I think that actually just contextualized how much of a burden that specific rule is within the Jedi order, and probably explains why it ends up going wrong in the ter- in, you know and An- Anakin's case ends up going so wrong, and then, as you said, it links so well to when des you know is thought to be dead as well, and all these feelings like rise up in him again, and he says well i can 't even grieve for this like young lad who's just died um just like I couldn't all these years ago and I just I thought that was such an interesting thing for a jedi character to go through particularly in an era of the Jedi when we're supposed to see them as at their best and their most purest is even when the jedi are at their absolute best in the high republic era there's still severe questions on the rules and how the rules can affect the actual individual. So yeah, I thought that was a really really powerful moment. And I also agree with you completely on um Orla's story, you know, the whole not not being allowed to follow her instinct and follow the force and the responsibility she feels for is it is it Monarch Castle who dies is the name of the character. Yeah. Um, and and then how, you know, in sort of the present day story, you know she is now in a place where she is following her instincts instead of what the order tells her to do and that is her feeling um at her best and her most natural um so yeah i thought that whole oh, i was reading the 25 years previous story like sort of story of thinking you know what is the point of this like it's interesting we've got you know two planets that don't like each other and the conflict the role of the huts and the huts clearly trying to Gain control 200 years, 250 years before we see the hearts actually in control. This is interesting, but what's the point? And it was really those last like couple pages that really sold me on like, right, okay, this is saying something very deep <laughs> about the Force and the Jedi Order from like two separate sides of the, the same coin, essentially. So, yeah, really, really, really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, um, I think with Master Comac as well, it really. I'm really intrigued about where his story is going to go because there were points in the book, obviously when he was talking about like not being able to grieve and, um, like the other Jedi characters, I think it was mostly all uh, around him. Like could sense like inside like, the turmoil who was feeling that he didn't then portray uh, outwardly. Um, it, it really reminds me of, obviously like Anakin's like story and stuff like that. So I'm just, and especially with some of the stuff Master Kovac said, with like the, between the light and the dark, and like how the Jedi cut themselves off from the dark, which is like foolish, etc. Um, I don't know if I'm going to see him. Like, does he is he going to turn to the dark side in a couple, like in a couple books, or something just because he can't he can't struggle with this internal, you know, like turmoil anymore? Uh, does he lose someone else, maybe, and then that just pushes him over the edge, and he can't keep that grief inside them anymore and it just bubbles over. Like, it's really got me intrigued about where his story is going to go.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I imagine obviously the next book that we're going to see him in is Out of the Shadows and I imagine he'll probably be continuing to battle with some of these sort of issues. But I also see him kind of quite similar to Qui-Gon in a way as well with sort of a very questioning nature of the the balance and the force and that sort of thing. But it's going to be interesting how his relationship with with Reef going forward maybe challenges or changes his his views and stuff. So, yeah, definitely another another interesting character. Um, we'll touch briefly on Dez. Um, Dez, there's not as much to say, but also I thought Dez was an awesome character. He's your sort of adventurer, swashbuckling Jedi who just loves getting into scraps and always wins, and he's tall, dark, and handsome and all that sort of stuff. Um, the opposite to Reith, essentially, at the beginning of the book. You know, he loves adventure, whereas Reith doesn't. They're both, well, he's Master Drawer's former Padawan before Reef. Um, and then he is presumed dead about halfway through the book when he sort of disappears off in one of the hyper space like pods. Um, they think he's just been killed by the Helix Ring, whereas actually he's landed on the Drengir planet and has been sort of tortured and poisoned by the Drengir Reith finds him, which was a scene by the way, which like blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, he's alive. <laughs> and the way it was written and like that whole scene just completely like mind exploded, and the fact that he was just so tortured by the gear and poisoned and all that, that him and Reith had an actual like jewel, all that sort of stuff. Um was really, really cool. But I think what I enjoyed most about Des was the change of heart that he had by the end of the book. And almost reflecting on his desire to have adventure was not really fitting within the Force. Um, The Force is sort of like will for him. And that, you know, this was essentially a big lesson for him. And obviously because of the drinker and all their poisoning and the dark side influence that they have, he needed to go and re-establish himself within the Force, which is why he chose to take the Barash Vow at the end of the book um, <clears throat> so I thought he had a really interesting sort of character arc and I imagine we might not see Des again purely because taking the Barash Vow is literally disappearing to never be seen again and just <clears throat> live the rest of your life in the force um, but I thought it was a, a nice little character arc for him and supplemented the other characters quite well I don't know what you thought uh,
0: yeah I agree I mean yeah when we introduced him as a character yeah he's like he kind of like reminds me of like the like the Han Solo out of the group, you know, like charismatic, adventurous, you know, always somehow comes out on top. Uh, from what we're told, um, especially in like comparison to the other three Jedi, I think he's definitely the most outgoing. But yeah, well, I mean, I feel like he's when he was presumed dead as well. I think it was really interesting. It was such it was really well written because it was just like such a some of the characters point it out but it was just like a pointless death like he literally just or like it was it presumed such a pointless death it was literally just he got trapped in a room and basically just like obliterated by some engines um pretty much or like ejected into space it wasn't wasn't really confirmed either one obviously and it was just, just a pointless death for such a character that was like you know like written to be very adventurous and yeah, outgoing. Um, so obviously I was really glad when he turned out to be alive later on. <clears throat> but it didn't seem like he'd suffered quite a bit at the hands of the, uh, the Dengar. Um, and yeah, as you said, I think then at the end of the book for him to go off and take the Barish Vow is such a like shift in character dynamics. Um, and I think, yeah, it works really well with Wreath and how um, obviously he was more timid and like not quite as outgoing And then like as the book's gone on they've just, like kind of switched places. Um which I think is really good. But yeah, I don't think we're gonna see him again, I suppose. I suppose he's gonna be off on a planet somewhere meditating every hour of the day.
1: So <laughs> Yeah. Unless, you know, a Sith Lord comes and hunts him down like the the poor guy from uh, the Darth Vader comic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, but no, I yeah, I I really enjoyed Des as well. I think you're you're right, particularly that part when they were reflecting on his death and how pointless it was. That bit really, uh, really got to me because you know that was a really interesting way to describe his death as you know so pointless, but it was essentially, and you know, luckily he was alive. But him being alive, I didn't feel like it was just a, you know we're not going to go through with him dying because we don't want to kill off characters who might have potential. It very much served a purpose because it introduced the drain, the drain gear to us properly by showing their sort of dark side influence and that sort of thing on other people. So yeah, overall I thought his, um, his part in the, in the story was, was really interesting. I think whilst we're on characters, we, it would be rude for us not to talk about geodes. Um, our our good friend Jack, you know sent in some questions for us about geode that we wanted to talk to. Um, he's He's also a big geo fan as well after reading the book this month. so uh, it's t- it's time we have the the geode talk. um some of the specific questions that Jack asked us was what do we think um about the truth behind this species? Is he something like the Weeping Angels, which I hadn't quite thought of yet from Doctor Who, which I think is a very interesting point. And how has the writer made such a great character out of a rock? I think we can talk about the last bit first. How has Claudia Gray made a rock? <laughs> such an inc- interesting character. You brushed upon it a little bit earlier on. Um, I mean, do you have much else to to add <laughs> in terms of how on earth... A writer is able to make a rock such a compelling character.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give a few examples. I think because it was, I think it was honestly the most brilliant writing in the entire book is some of these moments. It'd be like, uh, it's like when affy would be like in a bad mood or something, and she'd go sit next to Geode and like Claudia Gray writes is like, oh, affy was appreciative that Geode you know, could sense to her more so like didn't bother to ask her quite ask her a question or like something like that so it's basically just she's writing a whole personality as i said earlier of him doing nothing and it was so many options it was like it was like oh gee was clever enough to like not ask a question here or something like that it's just it's literally a rock that she's created a whole character from <laughs> it's not even like a a rock from like you know like Pokemon when they have like arms
1: and eyes Which, and yeah. an <laughs> eyes and a mouth
0: it's literally just a rock you look outside your window or something and find <laughs> a rock and that is literally it <laughs> yet yeah, she's somehow given him you know that personality like <laughs> a relationship with other characters as well I think yeah. that's the most amazing thing
1: yeah the the way that sort of there were there were lines which was like Geo's reaction spoke a thousand words, and it was like you could just visualise that he was it was just a rock standing there doing nothing. But yeah. you know, Leox and Affy somehow had this way that they communicated with him. One of my personal favourite bits was when Affy asked Leox when they were on Coruscant, "Oh, where's Geo?" and like Leox was just like, "Yeah, he's out clubbing." So like Geo goes clubbing, <laughs> and he's a rock. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was sort of during the um the final third act, you've got sort of Comac notices like something moving in the shadows and he's like, wait, is that Geode? And then obviously when Reef is about to get blown out of the, the airlock, you know, he collides into a large rock <laughs> and survives. And it was Geode has like saved him. And, and like Reef has that moment when he's like, like Reef could finally like feel him within the force in that moment. I just, the way that it's written... I couldn't imagine them being able to do Geode like in a film or in a TV show because so much of it is sort of like the narration of the book talking about what he's doing as opposed to actual things that he's physically doing. So no idea how they do it in a book or anything like that and anything other than a book. Um, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed his character. I thought he was good comedic relief, um, but also like just you really love him by the end, like the fact he says Reef's life and sort of the bit when, you know, Orla's going to get a new ship and she sort of says to him, I could do have a navigator and he, without saying anything, like informs her that he's already got his own place, basically. (laughs) I just, oh, he's such a well-done character. Um, So to answer Jack's question, (laughs) do we think he, how do we think he moves is basically the question is it when people aren't looking he can move or is it that he does actually move it's just this book has written it around him like us not understanding the way that he moves I don't know what your thoughts are about it
0: I really don't know I just feel like I feel like just to get his actual day-to-day job done which is the ship navigating like inputs coordinates and stuff into the ship I feel like he has to be able to like move things around him like with like his mind or whatever I feel like that's just that has to be but then like when he moves does he like float around or does he roll I just <laughs> and, like can he move I think as you said like can he move without being seen or yeah I
1: think from like uh concept art and stuff he's he's like a larger rectangle he's he's not like a, a round rock he's sort of like almost like a square. Like uh, tombstone shaped uh, mm. being, so it's. I imagine it's. Is it like a, a slow sort of like sliding along the floor, <laughs> or as you said, does he float, levitate? I mean, these are these are important questions that I hope are one day answered. But I just I kind of loved how this book didn't answer it. Like it didn't need to answer it. Like we love Geode regardless of these answers. Um, we know that he is a species. And Vintian is his species. So are we going to meet more of them? What is the deal with them? I don't know, is my honest answer. I kind of like the the whole idea that, that he's like the weeping angels when like people close their eyes, he's able to move. And then <laughs> as soon as they look at him, he has to like, stay deadly still. That could be funny. Is it just that he's just floating? But then he went clubbing. So if he was clubbing, he would have been dancing with loads of people. I don't know. No idea. But... <laughs> do we even need to know I guess is the the question I'm quite enjoying the mystery behind it and
0: just I'm just enjoying the way it's written it's like the sound of silence speaks a thousand volumes for literally like everything he does but it's just so cleverly done that I can't complain to be honest and they never answer it I, I don't think that'll
1: ever be a problem to be honest yeah yeah I agree I think it's going to be interesting to see like the other High Republic writers like use geodes because he's going to be in the High Republic Adventures, I think it drops this Wednesday, I think. And that's uh, Daniel Jose Elder writing that. So it's going to be different seeing him in the hands of a different writer and in a different medium comic as opposed to book, see what happens there. I mean, I've seen sort of one sort of screen grab from it of like him just stood next to a Jedi character and affy, sort of on, on the side of a ship, just sort of like stood there doing nothing. So, doing nothing and saying nothing. So, I think it's going to be interesting to see him sort of jump around different writers and see how different writers write Geode. I'd, I mean, I'd love to see Charles Soule write Geode at some point, just because alongside Claudia Gray, he's like my other favorite <laughs> writer. So, just to see what he's up to as well with um, with Geode. But yeah, I'm just, we love Geode. I want my Geode Funko Pop. I want my Geode, uh, you know, three quarter. Of- action figure i want my geodes like pillow and um soft cuddly toy i want my geode lego set i want it all (laughs) just one big lego block (laughs) yeah exactly just a large block of lego (laughs) that i can just (laughs) call it (laughs) geode i think it was what i loved about it was between him and being good comic comic relief. We'll sort of talk about Leox as well as sort of like the other comedic relief in the um in the book. I was a huge fan of Leox. I understand that Claudia Gray literally, when she was writing the book, pictured Matthew McConaughey in space and then wrote him like that. So he's he's, you know, smoking his spice sticks and he's, you know, he's asexual. He's like really spiritual. He's like He's just sort of like an ultra hippie. <laughs> He's just such a funny and interesting character. I was, I really like Leox and I can't wait to see more Leox because I, I just found him utterly hilarious, but also quite heartwarming. His relationship with Afi was, was you know, really nice. And when Afi was dealing with all the stuff of the Bind Guild and Skova and her real parents and all the mystery behind that, which is another whole part of the book, which is really, really interesting. I just loved Leox's sort of almost useful almost useless advice that he'd offer all the time and is sort of like well well i don't know what you should do here but <laughs> that's how i almost sort of <laughs> envisioned his reactions at all times so um yeah did, did, did you did you like the boy leox as well
0: i did yeah it was good comic relief at times um and yeah i think he his character was very stark difference to like the Jedi, I suppose, um, which I think they work, they bounce well off each other at times um, for, again, comic relief. And yeah, just like the hippie vibe and he's definitely a mix of like Woody Harrison and Matthew McConaughey It's definitely like how I was just picturing him. And then he when was, he said it, I was like, Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause he was like spiritual in a completely different way to the Jedi. And um, mm-hmm. which is why he was quite a good, I particularly thought him and Comac were sort of quite good, like, at odds with you. Like, they never clashed, like, actually clashed, but, you know, sort of the way that you look at the two of them is like, two sides of, two completely different sides of spirituality. <laughs> it's like the, the monk who prays a lot and, you know, lives a very selfless life, and then the guy who just, like, does loads of drugs and <laughs> questions his purpose on Earth all the time whilst being a weird hippie. It's kind of Leox.
0: <laughs> yeah, I liked to like this
1: description of like, all the beads and stuff. And then
0: I think there was like a point, point later on in the book, when it was like things were a bit more serious, and he like took the beads off. It was like, oh, now, now you know shit's getting serious. Like the beads have come off. I think it was like, when he went to go save Afi on yeah. the uh, space
1: station. <laughs> yeah, and the, sort of the moment when Orla finds that he's like been smuggling spice. <laughs> and he's like, it, and he says it's medicinal. And then like when Des is like near dying at the end, like he puts the spice on him and it heals him. And he's like, see, I told you it was medicinal. <laughs> I just, yeah, I really loved his his character. And I thought obviously out of the vessel crew, Afi was sort of the, the main character. And she had the big important character arc of, you know, finding out about the Bind Guild, about her parents, about her foster parent and that big moral responsibility of like, should she... Put the indentured pe- workers first, and report her, you know, foster mum. Or should he put? Should he? Should she put herself first and try and save the problem within without losing a mother figure? And all that was a really interesting dilemma for Afi. And then you, you had Leox the whole time being this like strange mentor, but also like bad role model at the same time. You, you just couldn't really decide which which way he flipped. And I just thought that was a really dynamic character to have in the the story. And he really mixed things up, particularly when the story was dealing with a lot of darkness. I thought he was quite a good sort of um, counter to that and a good sort of light and bubbly character to sort of fill in some of those dark moments. Yeah, definitely
0: definitely a good addition. I think, as I said at the beginning, um, there's seven characters that they've... uh that Claudia Gray chose to like focus on and have, you know, they were all in every single chapter. I think they all work so well off each other. Um And I think if you take any one of them out, you know, I think you'd really struggle to have such a big impact that the book had. You know, I don't think it'd be anywhere near as good if you took any character out, especially Leox, just because, as you said, the way he like bounces off certain characters and the way he like, yeah, makes like the darker scenes a bit more uh, lightens them up a bit I suppose with like he's out of your own life and like just his chill calm manner so I think uh, she's clearly Christ done really well to create such an interesting group of characters and have them bounce off each other so well so often um, not be like okay like, this is a chapter and like you can go like two or three chapters sometimes in books and like there's characters missing and you really notice it but having them pretty much all in every single chapter like all talking to each other at some point or quite often in the chapters i think works really well and she's just done a fantastic job to write them all so well together to be to be honest
1: yeah and particularly because like focus jumps sort of between um between chapter but within one chapter your focus is jumping between different characters You're hearing different characters in a monologues um which is yeah i just think it's a really interesting and a neat way to write a book. Um mm. and then sort of I guess the sort of final sort of thing to talk about is is I guess sort of like the amaxine station sort of and how the Dringer and the Nile sort of fit in within the story. I thought firstly having the Amaxine station as sort of the the location for the story I thought was really, really interesting. I love the mystery around it. It was the seat in history and force law and you know the connection to the Sith as well um but also like that it served as like this sort of crucible essentially that they all had to like go through to like deal with their own sort of like personal demons or personal darkness like this big dark space station almost like was the the catalyst for all their change which I thought was a really interesting sort of way to tell the story because obviously they all went there because of the disaster and then they came back to Coruscant but then they all wanted to go back you know it was all just like we've got to go back to the station and it wasn't just wasn't just Wreath and Comac and Orla it was Afi as well it was, so everyone wanted to go back to put something right you know whether it was Comac and Orla for removing the Statues and releasing the darkness within the station. Whether it was Reef, upon realizing that Nan was actually a Nile and he had just given her all this information and left them at the space station to do whatever they wanted, or whether it was Afi who wanted to go back and find evidence that she could use against Skova to, um, you know, get her to stop using indentured workers. And um, so all of them had a reason to go back, and the station became this sort of like not just physical place that the story took place but sort of uh it was like the metaphorical sort of crucible that they all had to go through in their life um and I thought that was just a really really interesting setting um both in terms of what it adds to the story the lore it, the connections to other I mean I, I don't know if you've clocked this but have you have you've, you've read the Rise of Carla Ren comic haven't you yeah the, this the emaxing station is in that book, the Snoke's layer that he has the big dome thing. I don't know if you've realised that.
0: I did not, no. Yeah. Oh,
1: so where, cool. Where, yeah, where Snoke is in that comic is the Amaxine station, you know, 200 odd years later. Um, just the abandoned okay. abandoned Maxine station. By that time, there's no drain gear. There's probably none of those nasty little BD robots cutting about. <laughs> they're horrible little bastards, aren't they? Those little BDs. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're savage. No, ATs, no ATs, not BDs. BD B- 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 is uh, Jedi Fallen Order Droid. The ATs. it is <laughs> um, yeah, savage. So yeah, did you did you enjoy like the Amaxine Station? The mystery behind it, the reveal that you know the darkness within it was the Drengear, not the statues, and the statues were put in place to contain the Drengear by the sith all those sort of mysteries did you enjoy that aspect of the story yeah i did actually i didn't actually think of it like um the way you just
0: said is like that was each person's like crucible to go through i didn't actually uh, i didn't actually realize that that's actually very true and very well written in so yeah it was the catalyst for every person's like journey throughout the book i suppose but yeah, I, did, I really enjoyed the mystery, like the fact that you know it was everyone just assumed that this, the idols were there to like contain the dark side. All um, that the dark side was contained within the idols and stuff. And Then obviously it turned out that the idols were contained the dark side within the dengir, Deng- 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 Jesus. Um, and yeah, the plot twist with that I think was really interesting. Um, and yeah, the, every character wanting to go back to set something Right, I think it was really good, and I like how it didn't take too long for them to all realize that they all wanted to go back. Um, Because sometimes you you can find like one character wants to go back, and another character does, and it takes them like ages to figure out and like cross paths again. I like how immediate it was that all straight away went back to the vessel and was like, "All right, I want to hire you to go here." And then at that same time, like everyone else kind of showed up and was like, "All right, we're going back anyway." um, something else
1: good yeah. and I just I think obviously the sort of the big discovery that the, you know inter- in linking in with the fact that you know Des survived was this big discovery that this was a, a sort of a, a station that had these hyperspace pods that could ping to you know different planets around the galaxy and it was way back in the past it was what the Maxines used to sort of win battles by you know quickly you know using this Teleport technology and the drain gear wanted it because it would help them spread across the galaxy and feed, uh, which is what they want to do. They just want to eat meat, meat, meat. Um, and then, obviously, the Nile, when they found out about it from Nan, it was another sort of addition to the paths that they've already got of like another way that they can just dominate in battle. So, the Nile were after it as well. And then, you know, this was essentially became a space station that, like, was desirable for the bad people in the galaxy and it was down to you know this sort of team of heroes to you know not only sort of return the stat return the idols so that the drain gear would be you know sub- suppressed again but also like stopping the nile from getting a hold of at the time they didn't know what but getting a hold of these hyperspace pods um and I just thought that sort of the way that all those stories sort of like lingered and the mystery was there with Nan. I was a bit suspicious of Nan earlier on. I was thinking, oh, like she's, I, ne- I never, the Nile connection was never there, but I always had a weird vibe about her. As soon as the reveal was that she was Nile, I was like, ah, good. That makes sense. Um, but the way that all these threads sort of came together in the in the third act and there was obviously this big clash when, you know, the Drangir were released and then they put the Drangir back to sleep and then they re released the Drangir to, you know, fight the Nile as a distraction. I just thought that whole sort of third act felt very cinematic and I felt that it was a very, I could visualize everything with the, the station and um, the battle going on inside. So I thought, you know, Nile continued to be interesting villains. I thought there was, they were, you know, Interesting enough in this that you know it wanted me to see more. They weren't quite as compelling in this story as like the Jedi, but that wasn't the point. It was they were there as another foil to the Jedi. They weren't the big villain of the book like they weren't like the Jedi. And then the Drangir I thought were a really interesting concept. You know, this plant life seeped in the dark side. And then when that all came together in that sort of big collision, you know, I just thought it it, it landed really well. Was a as a big third act action sequence.
0: Yeah, I think it's just more credit to Claudia Gray's writing about how well it all fit together after, you know, the fact that they had to, they left the station and you think that like, they all thought oh, the stories were all wrapped up and then it turns out that it wasn't and they all went back and that all intertwined so well. Um, And the way, yeah, inter- and then you had obviously the gnar in there as well. I think, as I said, it goes to Claudia Gray's writing that it's managed to intertwine all these different stories, motivations, you know, like threats and make it so like, yeah, compelling and cinematic, as you just said, because, yeah, I can easily imagine that final third, like intense battle, uh, et etc., et cetera, like being on like a big screen or whatever. The way she writes it is just so well Um I just, she's just. I think she's a fantastic author. Um, very much looking forward to more high-profile stuff she does.
1: Yeah, and also this is a this is your your wake-up call to go and read <laughs> some of her other books. Um, yeah, exactly. She has written four previous Styles books to this one. I'm just counting my shelf where I have all of them. She's written four. Yeah, um, and I've read two of them, and they're fantastic. And the other two I'm yet to read, but I'm sure they will also be fantastic. So, um, and obviously, she's one of the um, High Republic writers. So, she will definitely have more books or comics or anything. She hasn't written comics yet, I don't believe. So, I'll be interesting to see her writing a comic. I hope she does it at some point. Um, mm. But yeah, hats off to a, a great book, great author, great characters. Overall, very positive feelings about Into the Dark.
0: Yeah. Very good. I mean, as you said, not quite as cinematic, or well, it's not as cinematic as Light of the Jedi, but as a companion story to it, it fits in perfectly. It does exactly what it needs to, um,
1: you know, in the amount of pages it has. Yeah, more think, more yeah. like brilliant world building, but on like a smaller, tighter scale, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
0: It reminds me of like, so you, have, you can have like, Light of the Jedi is obviously very cinematic. It's like the big film part and then obviously like Into the Dark is like the TV show that accompanies it like you can really th- flesh things out a bit better and yeah continue yeah. with that world
1: building and- yeah definitely definitely Um okay so we should we should we wrap up our discussion there have you got any more any more thoughts no I think I've you know I've all my points yeah Um I guess what we'll do because you know I guess everyone's expecting this is we'll probably announce what our next book club book is going to be, which I guess is no surprise to anyone, is going to be The Rising Storm um, by Cavan Scott. The next sort of main High Republic story, sort of the the follow-on from Light of the Jedi, um, the start of the next big wave of High Republic stories. Um, John is waiting on his book to arrive. um, So when it does, I'm sure he's going to jump straight into reading that. I have already read it. I will not say anything apart from the fact it's absolutely incredible and it's my favourite Star Wars book ever. So I'm incredibly excited to spend like ten hours on a podcast talking about it because I have so many thoughts. <laughs> um but yeah, hopefully if if John's book arrives soon enough, then in a um, in a month's time we can be talking about that one.
0: Yeah, I mean hopefully waiting for that signed edition to come through but if it it gets too long amazon amazon prime it It will have to be the the method of getting it
1: yeah exactly and i think well i think we do want to do some book club books that aren't high republic because obviously so far that's all we've done we will at some point but you know whilst they're coming out thick and thin we may as well be talking about them because they're relevant and up-to-date and Good so far.
0: <laughs> yes. Very good so far.
1: Right. So we shall wrap that episode up just there. Um if you enjoyed the episode, you can you know, follow our podcast on whatever podcast app you use, whether it's Spotify or Apple or any of the other ones. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Live from Vaders Castle and on Twitter at Fadus castle pod and yeah we will be back well th- this episode's coming out a little bit late so we'll be back in like four or five days with a new episode of the podcast where we'll be talking about two episodes of the bad batch one that came out last week which we both enjoyed and another one which will be coming out on Friday which i'm sure we we'll, we will enjoy as well so we okay. will be talking about that soon and yeah until then uh enjoy yourselves <laughs> may the force be with you I
0: guess
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a terrible outro that was awful
0: <laughs> uh,
1: anyway thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next week bye bye